faster, stronger, smarter. Coach Stephanie explores the art and science of ketogenic diets to optimize athletic performance. Welcome to the Keto Endurance Podcast. Everybody to the Keto Endurance Podcast. I have Paul Larson with me. He's a PhD of AUT University in Auckland, New Zealand in the area of sports, medicine, sports science. That's right. That's right. I am. Yeah. Uh, except, and while I am, while that position is in New Zealand still, I am based uh, in Canada. So I've, I've returned home to my my homeland and uh but yeah i still ret um, i still work from aut university i supervise postgraduate students still have a, a an active research program going on through through there but i'm based in, in a little town a little community of revelstoke british columbia and uh that's where i i, I get to work from home and uh, do fun things like you know chat to you now and then uh at the same time as we spoke i'm, I'm writing a book uh, I've been doing that for the last, you know, year and year and a half now here in Revelstoke. A book is a big project to take on. So tell us about what the book's about and what inspired you to write it. Sure. So the, so it's the, it's titled the science and application of high intensity interval training. And of course, many of your listeners will have heard of high intensity interval training, sometimes called hit training. It's a, it's for whatever reason uh, has really taken the interest of both the health population and the sporting world in um, I guess probably because it it has a, a very strong generally positive effect and um, and yeah and that's it just happened to be the focus of my PhD when I did that uh, many moons ago and starting in 2000 back in Australia and I've published a lot in the area uh, and then I have again for your listeners that won't have background on me they're listening for the first time my I guess my my history is um, you know really solid year a number of years of academic work and being a professor but then also um, transitioning to the applied field where uh, it's more, you know, you're you're working with coaches and, and athletes and and trying to use the science that's in the papers to tweak training programs. So I've got this applied skill set as well, like yourself being a coach. Right. So um, the and that's I guess uh, really where the the interest for the book came, uh, and we were hounded myself and a colleague, Martin Bichette, were, were hounded by the, this, this publisher, Human Kinetics, who we're writing the book for, because we, we received a, a high popularity from this review article, the scientific review article that we wrote in, 20, in 2013, and um, where, where you're really kind of linking the science with the application, how you actually apply that in, in, the, in the field. And, um, and yeah, the... So I guess the book really encompasses the science of, of an understanding of high-intensity training um, and how you actually go and, go and apply that. And, and that's what I've been working on writing for the last, last little while. Hopefully it's going to be something that, uh, that people are find uh, interesting and useful. Oh, very cool. So is there any... I watched the videos you sent me, and I uh, will put the video in the show notes so people can watch the videos, but your colleague, Martin, is hard to understand. 
<laughs> it was like, I'm going to have to really listen hard. His accent's pretty strong. Yeah, he's got a, I, I guess I hear him all the time. So it's very, you know, he's very clear to me. Uh, but uh, for sure, if you're not used to the French accent, I can understand how it, it could be, yeah, a little bit, um, yeah, hard to stay with him. And he, he is like, he's a genius. The guy is uh, an absolute genius. And, and right from the get-go, I really have to acknowledge, you know, most of the genius that's, that is in behind some of the work that we're doing, a lot of it stems from Martin, Martin's brain. And I, my, my role, I, I feel my role is really more the, to try to be the communicator of the, the really solid information that's, that's, that's within Martin. And um, so, yeah, that's, that's, I guess, that's why I'm the lead, lead on this book. I will just have to say to the listeners, I've known Paul for a little while, and I've been around you. He's extremely humble. <laughs> so I am sure that Martin is a genius, but I'm sure that you're probably right up there with him. <laughs> okay well <laughs> so we'll just good. we'll just leave it there okay but so let's talk a little bit about why this paper was so uh why the publisher was so inspired by the paper to turn it into a book like what's the big aha the the cliff notes version of why it's so impressive yeah that's a really good question and i, I guess you know the the public speaks or the people speak and it really kind of came down to the fact that you can um you can in technology today you can see all the downloads and it, and all of the citations and on both um downloads uh, from the uh, um the journal publisher as well as the number of times that the papers become cited in other papers. So in right. other words, the, the work is inspiring others to, to challenge some of these. cited things. a lot because I have you as a, a scholar alert and I get emails like every, every so often, like probably at least once or twice a week of where it's been, you've yeah. been referenced and it's all kinds of different languages, which is pretty interesting. So that's sort of cool. That's right. So that you hit it. So that's exactly why. So for whatever reason, um, the people have found it useful and their, um, the work is being highly cited and the publishers take note of that. They, and they ask others who's, you know, uh, at the same time, it's kind of this merging of, it's like a perfect storm sort of happening for whatever reason as well. High intensity interval training has become the most, no, the number one highest interest topic in the sports sciences. And that's on the American College of Sports Medicine website. You can, you know, anyone can download that now. So kid is the big buzzword in fitness and in sport. And fat loss. There's a lot of fat loss. I don't know if you've yeah. included that, but I know that I do write stuff and give information to my clients and they hit is comes up like, oh, you get more bang for your buck. It helps you burn more fat and helps your performance and all kinds of amazing things. So what, what is not necessarily true because that's a relative term, but what, what is your, the relevant, what's exciting news that you have found out about it that you're publishing in this book, sort of give people a teaser and um, what are the things that people say it is a hit does, but is really not necessarily true. Yep. So that's a 
you know, there's a lot. Like the book is the book is big. So just to take people, just to give people a bit of a background and a teaser of the the outlay of the book, we've got so Martin and I take the first ten chapters and we break down the science of the interval training. And there's a lot of science that 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 is behind interval training. Because as we say, there's a lot of different ways to skin the cat. There's a funny English saying, uh, you know, different ways to skin the cat when it comes to training. And the coaches out there will know what I'm talking about. There's lots of ways to get um, at, at, at an end result. And I think that's, you know, in terms of interval training, I mean, how many different ways can you shape a session? Right. Uh, sets and, and reps and time and intensity intensity where you added in the front or the back or the middle or Mm -hmm. intensity of the recovery duration of the recovery and on and on it goes right and that's what we you know we 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 do that we we break down the uh all all the different ways that you can skin the cat we actually had um (laughs) we actually had a mathematical guru work out the number of different ways and uh using factor analysis and i think it was like two million different combinations if you were actually you actually wanted to break it down. <laughs> you could make more than two million different, you know, kind of you know sets ultimately. But that's that's too complex, obviously. So what is the you know what are the big rocks and the ways we can break break that down? And we we try to do that. We break it into five different uh, interval training methods. You can you can really use uh, that become tools in your in your coaching toolbox or weapons we like to call them weapons probably not in in, in today right, i saw that i saw the little picture of like right. your little diagram of little swords and guns and bombs i was like that's quite the visual <laughs> that's, that's what the, the athlete feels like i'm being stabbed <laughs> I'm i know and my wife my wife says the same thing why are you using the military military analogy and and i guess it's just that we it really fits it fits with what we are trying to do that. Um, the, the, main, the main thing that, that comes out as one of the analogies is, do we want to go in all guns blazing with ma- you know, weapons of mass destruction? Because that's a lot of the, you know, a lot of CrossFit type kind of training can, can wind up being that way, right? Where it's just right. almost over the top and a little bit extreme. And it yeah. leads it I did CrossFit people. for a while, and it's yeah. like, yeah, that's not really for me. <laughs> yeah, well, it leaves people in a bit of a mess, right? Right. And it, it can. If, it if can, they're... depending on the person. That's right, exactly. So what we like to do is we like to do take the more Navy SEAL or Rambo approach where they're kind of, you know, they're kind of coming in there, and, and they've, they've got, there's, you're hitting a particular target. That, that's... We, we couldn't, we, you know, if anyone else out there can, can figure out a better analogy for that. That's like a precision, precision tool. That's right. That's right. I mean, yeah, you could, you, you could think of it as uh, robotic surgery versus, um, you know, um, uh, I guess old school surgery. Right. Even. Instead so, of like a micro, you can make a small little tear and they yeah. send specific implements as opposed to. You got it. Yeah. So that's what we're really trying to do with with um, with the science and application of of interval training. Let's let's really understand the inner the underpinnings of the human body and the the inner workings. What is the best uh, interval training um, weapon or tool that you can use for a particular goal? And that's that's what that's what we do. So that's that that's the the general the general gist. Oh. And the, yeah, and that's a that you know. 
that's a big expansion. So to go to go from here with that idea and then to take people out, that's that would take a long time, which I'm happy right. to do. But but. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about some ideas. I've read a not a ton about high intensity training, but some you know, and I add intervals to my for my clients, and some of the things that I think are. I'll use this example as a Tabata work set. Yep. You know, so somebody doing a Tabata, that's... Sprint interval training, what we call that. Right. So, uh, And maybe, it, just to be specific, that's like 30 seconds can almost be, you could almost say 30 seconds all out-ish, like really, yeah. really high intensity, but 30 seconds of it. And then big, long recovery, like almost five minutes. And yeah. then do it again. Right. So the, the recovery is just as important as the interval set. Is that true or not true? Oh, or yeah. Or is it relative? Because I just think about, I go to a spin class and the girl's like, well, we're going to do our intervals, but we've already been high intensity. Then we're doing intervals and there's no rest. And then I'm like, and then we go get, I'm like, that's not really an interval. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's sounding a little bit more mass destruction to me on that one. You know? <laughs> yeah, I was like, wait a minute. There's yeah. supposed to be a lot of recovery in between these. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Well, that's the problem. And the, see, the problem is if you don't have the recovery between those Tabata intervals, they actually wind up becoming like your brain downregulates the right, power output that like you can this. perform. It becomes like this. Yeah. Right. Like, right. A, well, I'm trying for people who are listening. I'm drawing with my pencil into the air, like high peaks and low valleys, as opposed to it just starts to all level out to one. It sort that's of right. becomes just little bumps. Exactly. So, and that's one of the things with, with interval training, why it can be so beneficial is because you are, you're going really, really hard and strong and you're engaging your, you know, your type two um, motor units or your fast twitch muscle fibers, which you don't normally engage in a, a everyday kind of situation. So you're all, um, and if, if you are not allowing that recovery between them, well, you're not going to really be able to to get up and, and, and do those because your brain just won't allow it. it it's, um, you need to have the, the long recovery that's either passive, not doing anything, or you know, slightly active, you know, like you know, very, very light kind of spinning. And that, that allows your body to return to homeostasis, feel fresh again, and then you can, you can smash it again and get into those, those larger motor units, the, the fast twitch muscle fibers that and you can um yeah and by engaging those you um yeah you're adding you're, you're making yourself young almost because that's what you that's what you can kind of do as a as a young person right you can smash it out there and as we as we age we we, we lose that about that ability a bit because we you know as they say if you don't use it you lose it and that's exactly what's happening and that's so yeah, allowing yourself that recovery to be able to get into those and, and stimulate them again, give them that um, give them that stimulus to say, hey, we're we're still alive, we're still um, we're still using you guys. And then there's all these hormonal uh, benefits that come from that as well, like you know various growth hormone and testosterone, etc. Let's talk a little bit. So that's uh, and those are things that I would have suspected, but uh, just from reading about how to build testosterone and, and stuff like that. But do you think that there's some confusion in people? Cause I, I don't know if it's the idea that like more is better that 
that sort of gets in the way of actually doing interval training the way some of the yeah. research papers have said that was made it effective? Yep. So you hit on another really important point, Stephanie, and that's that, unfortunately, um, that what winds up happening in so often with, with anything, you know, is that as soon as it becomes a bit of a buzz, buzzword or, a, you know, gain, gains popularity and people get excited about it, and I'm as guilty as the next person with this whole concept as well, is that you just, that's the only thing you wind up doing. And if you only, um, you know, if you're only doing high intensity interval training all the time, what one, what, you know, exercises a stress and high intensity interval training is the greatest stress that we can probably, you know, add to our, to our body. And just like any stresses, like nutrition stress, um, like you know, environmental stress, environmental yeah. heat, cold, altitude, whatever, um, we've got this neat little, um, you know, center in the middle of our brain called the HPA axis. And um, it's, you know, it's, it's kind of controlling stress in your body. And it, um, yeah, it has all these downstream uh, hormones that it can, can fire out. And cortisol is one of the biggest ones. And you can, yeah, you can wind up, you know, breaking yourself down a bit and your whole central nervous system kind of spins into not feeling too happy. And, um, and, and that leads and, to and a lot result, of, you know, you're not sleeping well right. and you're, yeah, you're just, a bit, you're, you're a bit of, <laughs> bit of a mess and eventually your body figures it out and you'll, right. you'll, you'll, you'll have to recover, but you, you can, it can lead to basically illness and injury, which isn't a good thing. And we see that happening, especially see that happening in the, you know, Phil, Phil Maftone and, and I have, have written a couple papers on this where we see this happening with the type A you know, elite athlete, where again, we always you feel more is better, and too much high intensity work, um, and then you you know you add in a nutritional um, co-founder in there as well, and and you've got you got a perfect storm for overtraining syndrome. Ultimately, right. is what what winds up happening. Yeah, and the flip side too, a lot of people who have um, subscribed to Dr. Maffetone's training and fat adaptation or keto adaptation, whatever you want to call it, then they're always doing, instead of what's called like polarized training where it's, you know, the extremes, they're always doing the one end of the, the spectrum and not adding any intensity. They're like, oh, I don't need the intensity. I'm like, well, wait a minute. <laughs> so I think uh, that that's sort of uh, confusing too. A lot of, so you're familiar, you're and I don't know if I want to like give you labels, but an advocate of sort of keto adaptation, fat, whatever you want to call it, the maffetone yeah. sort of nutrition that yeah. um, a lot of, I get a lot of clients or a lot of comments from people who are very big fans of Dr. Maffetone and they subscribe to the maffetone method, but they um, don't ever add the intensity. And it's like, well, you need, you need both. You need the... Mm the the base building the and you know adding it at the proper time yep there, there's different and that's times. where unfortunately phil's very un misunderstood with that you know right. with respect to that i mean and he you know he <laughs> that's 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 his one you know he spoke to me on that it's one it's his one regret is that it's because he's uh, been a proponent of the you know fat adaptation for for so long that um you know that's where he's gain great popularity and and no one you know it's 
the fact that he uses and, and prescribes interval training to his very successful athletes is completely missed. But I mean, right. you know, yeah i mean make you, you think mark allen didn't do any interval training when he you know won hawaii for the you know uh, six different times so yeah i mean it's <laughs> <laughs> of course he did of course he did and, yeah. and uh, feels well but it's just yeah the the thing that's the big um aha moment or wow with phil that 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 people weren't aware of before he was you know he was, um, he, they were made aware. It was, was his, his bad adaptation work, which he's a legend on, right? So, right. So and, one of and, the pioneers and, in it. So. Yeah, he's one of the pioneers in it. Absolutely. He was doing it before everyone else. Right. I, I mean, I remember reading Phil's books in the, in the nineties when I was a triathlete trying to, you know, trying to uh, be the best athlete I could be. And yeah, I remember, yeah, I remember some of his math methods back in the nineties. And, um, I, you know, I think I, I tried it for a bit and it didn't, I didn't try it for long enough. And, uh, it takes a while to become fat adapted. And I think that there's so many different, uh, factors into it that the people don't equate to like, it's part of a piece of a puzzle. So mm -hmm. if you're, if you're doing, you if you have low stress, you have time to train, you train at the Mapito method, you're doing all these things, but then you eat a crappy diet, well, then that's putting things out of balance. Or if your diet's perfect, your training's perfect, your life stress is, uh, is fine, but you can't sleep, well, then that's putting everything out of balance. Like you have to have, it's just part of the equation. There's not, there's a lot of factors that go into health and fitness and I think that that's sort of something that a lot of people are like well why isn't this working because I'm doing everything right or um but you're not doing everything right if it's not working <laughs> so and I also you're, think you're right yeah yeah and um I, I think you yeah one of the key important points you made there is the fact that and you know I think that's why a lot of the Phil Maftone methods, um, you know, Tim Noakes, whatever methods work on so many people today is because they are probably, you know, a lot of people are out of balance with respect to their diets and then maybe the training as well. And um, all of a sudden when they, I guess, remove two key stressors, which might be one might be training stress and the other one's uh, probably the biggest one is the nutrition stress switch that up, they get, they get a great result. And of course, very, you know, we get happy about that. And, and uh, yeah, there's a, there's a, um, a groundswell of uh, excitement and enthusiasm about those sorts of things. Let's um, talk a little bit about your academic work. You're getting papers published, which I think is wonderful that you're out there really being a voice for people. You know, I, I believe in your work that you were uh, on Twitter, you had posted a comment on a paper that you had, or something had been rejected. <laughs> oh, and yeah. I thought the comments were quite, um, I think it, well, just talk a little bit about that. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Well, yeah. Well, it's a little bit taboo to talk about papers before they actually get published, but I think it's fine that it's, yeah. Well, well, 
Well, we don't even have to say what the paper's about. We can just talk <laughs> about the comment you put on. No, no, I, I think it's actually, I think that's, we should talk about the paper because it's very important and it's, it really relates to the comments. So the, well, just to begin with what Stephanie's talking about, the, the comments were something to the, the effect that, well, the, the very first thing was the, it was, I posted the reviewer, the anonymous reviewer comments. So I, who knows who, who read our paper, but whenever, and also for people that don't know the process of science, when you submit a paper to a journal, it goes out to other experts in the, in the world um, in, in, in that field who evaluate the, the science and the data the, what it, and the interpretation of, of that, that data. Uh, you know, and, and, and we, we did a study uh, and we tried to, I guess we really were trying to examine a bit of a an important point in the high intensity training and um, nutrition literature. And one of those, well, I think it's a bit of a, a myth in, in, my, in my view. Uh, and that is the fact that if you do not have a, uh, at least a substantial amount of carbohydrates in your diet, that you will not be able to do high intensity interval training. In other words, that, that you need to have that you know, that glucose and that, um, yeah, that glucose and, and carbohydrate to perform those, you know, those Tabata intervals that we were speaking about. And, um, yeah, I guess that's, that's what we in investigated in this study. We, uh, there's a lot, not all, as you know, your readers will be aware of, there's not a lot of scientific literature that takes a group of individuals that uh, are, you know, adapted to a typical Western diet and then keto adapts them for you know more than three weeks. There's really very few studies. We're starting to get a few more now. So that's what we did. We we took um, we took a group of individuals from the Czech Republic, and um, they're on a standard Western diet, fifty you know fifty uh, percent carbs, um, and we 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 switched that up so that they were only on you know less than ten percent carbs. They were keto adapted. Ketone levels were about um, zero point, or beta hydroxybutyrate levels were about zero point five, so, which is almost in kind of what we're finding. That's about the best you can almost get. Um, you know, it's we're, um, the more we go on the, the with these sorts of studies, we're finding the majority of individuals can't get to those high levels of of ketones with uh, you know using you know standard um, you know real mill revolution type. Um, right. guidelines etc carbs, carbs below 100 yeah it's hard to it's i think well you can go on i don't want to interrupt your paper but i've seen that too yeah you know i think a lot of us have a lot of us yeah. has so that's but nevertheless um what we did so and the other thing we we did in this study is we got them to perform a high intensity interval training session beforehand so we, these were vo2 max type um intervals so i think it was uh you know 3 minutes at vvo2 max or at your 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 vo2 max uh running speed um these are just in these are in recreationally trained individuals but not not elite athletes and then we yeah i think it was a standard 2 minute rest between those i think they did they, they did um eight of them so pretty real hard hard set did that before and then we did them in the middle of the of the four-week uh, adaptation period to the diet and we did it after 
And yeah, I guess what we found was, you know, this is one of the first studies that's really looking at interval training and, and diet manipulation. They're hard studies to do, but we found that there was no difference, which was quite surprising in the, in the high intensity interval training session. In other words, once the group was adapted, they still did the exact same interval training session. They just did it differently in terms of the macronutrients that they burn. They just did it using more fat. So that's, uh, and, and ketones um, likely as well. So it's difficult to see within the, the metabolic carts that we use. So yeah, that was the profound finding. So the first comment from the reviewers was, the data is fascinating. However, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, what were the hours? You mean you? It was a keto. I'm gonna look it up because I'm looking at your page at your. Uh, let me. Okay. But it was like a ketogenic lifestyle. It has a known mm. ketogenic lifestyle. I'm like. Well, I think you said the the off one of the some of these authors have been on podcasts that are purporting the the ketogenic lifestyle. So again, here here I'm gonna get in trouble. You're gonna get me in trouble, Stephanie. <laughs> You're <laughs> talking about this. <laughs> your ketogenic lifestyle yeah it almost sounded like as an insult your ketogenic lifestyle that's like yeah. a, uh i'm not normal right like i'm not yeah well not. It, i think <laughs> you know it's sort of funny how um i don't know about you but because i'm in a sphere i know a lot of people who follow fat adaptation keto adaptation and i had read joe frill's book that he he mentions Professor Noakes in his like Fit After Forty or Fit After Fifty book, and so I'm expecting to go to this conference, the conference that I met you at, and mm. there's going to be talk about keto adaptation or fat adaptation or or changes in nutrition, and that's not what I found, and I was flabbergasted. <laughs> <laughs> that's actually how we met um, because yeah. Paul had you had mentioned something like well did you try this and I and I had mentioned did you practice any nutrient timing and uh, of course the answers were no on whatever your question was and my question but I can't find your the the comments on well, that's okay. anymore. but well, um, one, yeah one was the lifestyle comment and then the other yeah. one was the statistics actually which really burns us because we used, used the best statistical method that you could use for a very small sample size, like like ten in, ten individuals. So we, yeah, so I, sh I should I should give a little bit more background. We, do, we you know we compared this against a control group that didn't change their diet. So we had about I think we had about ten ten in the in the in the samples, and uh, yeah, like uh, of course the ten that didn't change their their diet, so they they performed the same intervals, but so did the. So did the individuals that changed their diet. They still performed the, that VO2 max set. Didn't, um, no change in rating of perceived exertion, how it felt. Uh, the only thing that was different was the, um, yeah, it was just how they went and did it because we measured, we, we measured um, gases, right? Which gives you an, an insight into how the human engine is actually going at performing and burning fuel, right? Yes. So the, yeah, the, those that fat adapted on, you know, they, they were in ketosis, you know, ketosis, mild ketosis, they, they were just, they were doing high intensity interval training with different, different substrates, different nutrients. Did you, um, did you have them, the warm up, the, the same, you know, was the warm up the same? Uh, yeah, everything was the same. Everything, same? Everything. So I found, the, I found the comments, so I will read them. 
<laughs> Comments to the author. The data presented in this manuscript are fascinating. <laughs> However, the author needs to be careful of bias, which this is my comment. Maybe the reviewer needs to be careful of bias. But the majority of the authors are strong proponents of ketogenic diets. Thus, their use of Hopkins, more liberal interpretation of the results, may lead to conclusions not supported by hypothesis testing. Further, disclosures should be provided by the co-authors who are strong proponents and have done interviews and videos about ketogenic lifestyle. Yep. So again, you're getting me in trouble here, Stephanie. And, and you know, I, I will say the one good point that the reviewer has is the fact that, um, you know, we do all have bias. And, and, and including I... Including the reviewer. Including me, including the reviewer. That's right. We, that any human being cannot get away from that. We're, you know, we're, we're presented with the, I guess, the life that's around us. And that, that, that gives us all our bias. And, um, but at the same time, we need to be honest with data that is put in front of us. What is really that data saying? And, and again, this is why the reviewer, I believe this is why the reviewer is saying that the data is fascinating because it's at some level, it's breaking a bit of a dogma or a bit of a, a belief that's within that, that reviewer's brain and something's not right in there. But again, it's not, um, that reviewer is not He's not allowing the data be, to be presented to the rest of the world, unfortunately, because of because of his his ranking that he's that he and another reviewer and the and the editor of the journal. Again, it's not, and and we also have to be mindful that this, sometimes these things go against industry driven uh, standards that have you know that, you know a lot of our journals are in bed with with industry and our you know conferences and stuff that we go to. We do need to if if we are true scientists, we just have to to do our very best to be honest with what that data says in front of us. And in this data set, there's no evidence to suggest that the diet played any role in allowing an individual to perform an interval training session. That was very hard. So that kind of, we have to be honest with that piece of data, only one piece of data, but it's the first. We have to allow it to be presented, people to see it and say, hmm, maybe we need to retest this again. Let's, let's do this the study again with, I don't know, even harder interval training sessions or uh, an open-ended interval training session or, um, you know, wh whatever, whatever we want to do, you know, more subjects, different stats, but allow this to be seen. And I hate it when we can't take fascinating data that the reviewer acknowledges and allow it to be shown to the world. This is the third time the, the, the data has been rejected by by a by a, a man you know by a journal and we are going lower and lower down the list of um, impact factors so eventually it's going to be published in a a very low impact sports science journal which is great because to, i think that's the world is changing and and um people are even you know if it gets published even in a low-ranking journal Twitter uh, and other social media um, takes over and people get right. to see it. So that's, that's a good thing. Well, Jeff Bullock and Stephen Finney, their book, The Art and Science of Low-Carbohydrate Performance, they had to self-publish that at mm -hmm. first because nobody would publish it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Phil Mapitone wrote all of his own books. So it's, uh, I think that yeah. it's, uh, 
I think this is a good time. Like I like this time in history, even though there's a lot of, you know, information out there that people can do their own research and seek out their own sources and find out what works for them. So uh, right. for me, and I, I, I don't know your whole story, but you um, had said that you had come around to fat adaptation because of personal experiences and the same with me like in personal experiences i i tried the high carb low fat approach and it made me very sick actually (laughs) i am 48 years old and i felt better than i ever have in my whole entire life Mm -hmm. and uh and a lot of it and i i look back at pictures I, i look healthier too and i'm doing i i did the carnivore study i think i was telling you that I was going to do it. Well, I did that all meat diet for 90 days. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I did great. It was, and then, <laughs> That's great. and then I, over the holidays, I did not follow that and I did not do great. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so oh, I'm yeah. back, I'm back to all meat and I feel really good. And I wouldn't have done that approach if I hadn't like questioned, like there's something wrong with the scenario. Like, I am not performing well. I don't feel good. And instead of accepting the fact like, oh, it's aging, which I think is a, it's sort of a crappy response. Like I, it's a throwaway line, right? Right. And I used to train. What is, what is aging, right? Right. Right. Exactly. I, I used for eight years, I was a personal trainer for senior citizens. So that's a self selecting group of people who want to stay fit. And none of those people, they're very active in their 70s, 80s, 90s. I even had ladies in over 100 come to my class. And one thing, they were not on any drugs. They exercised regularly. They ate real food. Mm-hmm. And um, they had good attitudes. I think attitude is a lot of, you know, health. But, and so, you know, I'm getting older. I'm doing exercise like I'm training for an endurance events yet I'm not feeling good I'm not looking good and that's comparing myself to these people who are 90 and they're out like hey you can't go over on this class because we're going out to play golf or do whatever and uh, so it was a good marker for like hey what's going on with what I'm doing compared to what they're doing good for you it's awesome yeah. well yeah it was light bulb went off eh yeah. Yeah. And it's just like, at some point you have to say, maybe that expert isn't an expert in me. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, that's, I mean, <laughs> um, that almost, you know, these, I guess, potential reviewers and other experts that are out there on some of this, um, some of this, some of these areas, they, when you look at them, they, uh, I don't know if they're, they're individuals as well that you want to be taking advice for. Like you have to practice, they should be practicing what they preach and, and be, uh, I would hope, um, you know, advocates just, you know, they're them as people actually speak for, for what they're trying to, to, to tell, tell you to do. So, yeah. and if I, you know, again, if I'm not, uh, if, if I'm not hitting that, that mark as well, then you shouldn't be listening to me. <laughs> Oh, I'm still not fast, but I'm a lot fitter. <laughs> so I did a three-day stage race this weekend, and I didn't consume any carbs at any point of it. Wow. 
he's toned salts and uh and vespa and that's it <laughs> well that's um, impressive that's well, impressive. Vespa's only um vespa has five grams of carbs in it so okay. I, I could say i consume some and some of it like my fitness level was not the best so you're familiar with chronic training load <laughs> so for tour de tucson which is an event i train for every november and uh, my fitness i had a pr and my fitness was at 84 85 yeah. and this my fitness right now is like 46 which is like not fit <laughs> so i <laughs> yeah yeah so I, I the got, density I, of uh, ctl wasn't really really behind you no no it's not yeah. <laughs> but I, well, figured... hey, I was gonna say just one of the um like one of the things I should be kind of clear on is that um, with a lot of my athletes, um, it's individual, but we generally do tend to throw carbs at a big day. So it's like, you know, if there's a, yeah. if there's a key, a, an absolute key set that's, I mean, in my, you know, the guys I work with are pretty, they're, they're right up there. They're some of the best in the world. And, and yeah, we will throw carbs. I mean, there's, and there's some studies that even Noakes has been doing where it's oh, showing that, that, you know, I'm carbs on key right. sets. Um, right. and, and it makes sense actually, because carbs are a central nervous system stimulated. They allow you to get into that sympathetic, you know, mobilization, um, a little bit, a little bit more. So, um, for yeah, we, we just on the key sets we tend to be using some carbs, and then on a, an actual race day as well, we tend to throw carbs at the at the race uh, race as well. So even a little bit leading up to it, and and actually the event. Right. event itself. And I agree, and I do that with my clients, but this was sort of a test. You know, yeah, yeah, like, cool. Yeah. Well, it's it, it, it's nice sometimes. Well, well, again, yeah, like you said, like a lot of the sets we will force the body to use more fat by really starving you know having them fasted training bulletproof coffee only uh these these types of things just to and you know six seven hour eight hour rides or whatever right like just really starving the body of of carbs kind of thing and, and totally fasted so yeah it just uh, it's all part of the periodization of what you're trying to get so it's the, and the more knowledge that we have on how we work um the more we can we can make these fine tweaks that that get that little bit more out of the engine yeah so i'm not saying that i i advocate that for everybody i just was and everybody's different too but how your carb tolerance your insulin resistance your insulin sensitivity yeah, you got and, it and so it's not like uh, i'm generally lean towards even though my insulin levels are low i still don't do well with a lot of carbs and that's just a personal thing and i just wanted to see how i was going to do and the the first day was a time trial and I did not, <laughs> it was super windy and it was all right, but it wasn't great. And then <laughs> and the second day was a road race and a 47 mile um, road race. And it was pretty hilly, which I have uh, a lot more weight to my power than I would like. <laughs> so my power to rate ratio is not good. Okay. And, uh, but I did fine. I um, felt good the whole time. I just, the hill was like, I was slow. And um, then the third day was the criterium and I felt the best on the third day. And I was thinking, well, shoot, if I had, uh, I want to sign up for another, there's a stage race coming up next month and I want to sign up and see if like, if I have a high training volume, cause I, I tapered a little bit to see if how I'll do, but 
and then I'll probably have, you know, higher chronic training load as well, but. Yeah, you'll probably go better. Yeah, so it's a, I just have, like, it's a mate. I'm just always interested in, like, what is my body doing and, like, testing out those things, and I think that that's something that I try to work through with my clients is, like, let's try this, and sometimes they get really, like, they're like, it's not working. I'm like, well, <laughs> we just tried it. You have to like try something new if that's not working. And I feel bad for them because they're like, they want an exact answer, but there isn't an exact answer. There's always, it's a variable. And that variable changes over time too. I think if you become more fat adapted or keto adapted or whatever, you know, sometimes you have little more leeway with carbs and sometimes you don't depending on the person but mm -hmm. so yeah, I, I i would agree i would agree entirely yeah my like even myself mom compared to maybe i don't know seven years ago my yeah insulin sensitivity is probably way way better where it is where, where now i can handle some carbs some treats and some sugar stuff even sometimes and i i think my my body's a lot more better you know, able to, to cope with that compared to in the past where it would give me a big, big reaction. It would tell me that something's not right. So. Did you have um, reactive hypoglycemia? Did yeah. You, yeah. I, a lot. I um, think that um, that's a <laughs> huge... It almost passed me out. Oh, well, that's pretty reactive. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I used to get to where I felt like I was going to slip into a coma after I ate. You know, I yeah, would be yeah. so well, tired. I'm like, I'm not functioning. Let's, uh, um, I'll t for the listener, what reactive hypoglycemia is, if you'll eat a meal and then you're going to be tired right afterwards and you <laughs> <laughs> tired is like a, or you'll feel like a, you know, like you want to slip or you pass out or me, I felt like I could slip into a coma, which I thought was sort of funny because I was listening to some of the people talk and it was after lunch at the, I don't know if it was last year at the endurance coaching summer the year before and the girls like, don't they know we um we have to maintain our blood sugar we need a snack or, or whatever and i thought no your body's messed up because your body should maintain its blood sugar on its own and if it's not you've got a problem or at least the start of a problem but that's just Good an observation yeah i see that a lot too <laughs> yeah it's like they they think that things that are like wrong just because it's normal doesn't mean it's right just because well, it's not, yeah we've, we create a new normal right i was like no your body should regulate many of its functions i was just reading uh an article about or it was about the um mongols they would eat like seven pounds of meat at one sitting and then they would go like days without eating and that's one of the ways that they were able to conquer so much of the world Mm. was because that they they had this all meat eating style and they could just go days and days without food and yeah. then they ate they ate and uh then what brought the mongol empire down is they were also very fertile and they had too many it was fighting amongst the siblings <laughs> ah, interesting <laughs> yeah that was pretty interesting sorry that's yeah. my rambling about oh, yeah. that's that's fascinating uh, i find all that history of that stuff yeah absolutely fascinating yeah it's the i think it's interesting is just learning like where did we get to the point why we believe what we do um i wanted to talk a little bit you know 
switching gears a little bit about the outside magazine article that you're mentioned in that you mm -hmm. they quote you and um i did you notice the the picture that they put with it it has like all the little the little guy in the picture i don't think i read the article so that was oh. alex alex's article right alex Hutchinson? yes yeah uh, <laughs> i think i glanced i might have glanced at it but no i, I missed that what, um, tell me uh let me pull it <laughs> it's <laughs> <laughs> it has a the cyclist who has like a drink in one hand yeah. and a goo in the other and then it has like uh <laughs> I got to find that I don't know where it is now but uh he has like all these logos of Gatorade, Power Bar, um Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Was it like um was it like an art like an artist drew it or something? Yes. Yeah, yeah, I think I'm It was so true that yeah. how much is in being influenced by someone trying to market something to us or how much is influenced by you know actual data and that's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> actual, like actual information that is um is pertinent to whatever so let, well, uh, yeah, but that's that's how the world is educated right because it's a lot easier to be educated that way so our it's so much easier for us to just to fall in line and watch television and you know watch the internet and and see what see what's told to us and and just believe it especially with um you know i mean that's the genius of the gatorade um uh, i guess the, the gatorade group um because they they even went one step further and they formed like the gatorade sports science institute right like oh they, yes they formed an institute out of their marketing wing to um to sound like it was a university and you know peer-reviewed stuff and then they then they pay the they still do this today they pay the um the scientists to come to their conferences and what and they write very good articles and very you know but so but unfortunately it's like <laughs> it's like some articles are or, you know on the really on the money and 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 they're they're good articles written by those uh, you know very uh, honest uh, intelligent authors but then every once in a while there's there's one that's that's kind of thrown in there that uh, that isn't maybe you know toe in the line uh, integrity and uh, and you know that one might be used to to sell sell the product a little bit more and um, and, and you know that's certainly been has happened in the history um, where convenient findings in the laboratory have been been used to um, make you know general recommendations which spread out into the um, NSCA and the ACSM and and uh, you know they basically they, they they wind up giving guidelines like you know you you've you know need to go and drink as much as possible that was probably the worst guideline that was made by the ACSM you know, drink, you know, imagine going, going and exercise, drinking yeah. as much Gatorade as possible. <laughs> and, and I was, I was one of the, the reason that one really sinks home to me is because I was one of those guys doing that. So I can remember doing the Penticton Ironman, the Ironman Canada back in the nineties. And I can remember, you know, just ha all the going through the aid stations and grabbing, grabbing the, oh. the, the bottles and just trying to, you know, drink so much and and you want and everyone else is doing the same thing and we're drinking so much that we're just vomiting you're vomiting well, yeah <laughs> and this is you know again our belief was that this is the way you have to go and do that 
And of course, yeah. that causes hyponatremia. And Especially on... It wouldn't be good. You really put your body in a, um, a predicament that's not not very healthy. And, and you know, that's uh, it's not even a laughing matter, really, because there's, I think it's 13 or 14, 15 maybe fatalities now in the world for individuals uh, that, have, that have gone and done this. So they just have drank too much. The stress hormones are up too high. And as a result, there's not the signal to get rid of that... Um, um, the urine, uh, so the kidneys kind of just, they aren't doing their job um, because your antidiuretic hormone levels are too high, influenced in the brain by your stress, and couple that with your drinking too much, and uh, yeah, perfect storm, hyponatremic encephalopathy, and uh, brain swelling and death, so. Yeah, nice combo for somebody who's trying to be fit. Yeah, yeah, not, not good, not good. So, and I, you know, and I've, I've been, I've, we've actually documented I me. Mean, I've got published some case studies on myself where I've, I've gone with my old school habits and have documented and we've taken blood, um, some grad students taking blood on me throughout the whole entire race. We did this in the Bustleton Ironman and, and yeah, lo and behold, I've got hyponatremia, my, you know, uh, serum sodium's down around one, one, three, one at the, at the end of it, which isn't good. One forty is normal. So. That's, that's, yeah. messages really got to be careful of, of how literally we take them again speaking from from experience and I think that you know if I would like to tell the listeners and I think you would like to tell the same thing that there's no um, to listen to your body I think a lot of times people disconnect from like what's going on in their body how do yeah. their joints feel how do they feel do you feel bloated are you you know is your stomach upset do you have you know, fatigue all the time, you should feel good all the time. You should be able to sleep well, fall asleep relatively easily, sleep through the night, not have to go up and go to the bathroom. That's a bad sign. Mm-hmm. You should- a lot of, that, I'm actually doing a lot of reading on this area now. It's yeah. called, um, it's called interoception. And it's basically, it's your, your, your brain's ability to recognize what's going on in your body and it's a lot of us um, there's at least there's a there's a school of thought where a lot of us have really lost this ability oh yeah to sense what are um you know what's kind of going on at any one time and it's 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 so important to gain and how do you gain that well there's lots of you know probably trying to have a look probably a little bit less technology um probably um, a little bit more you know paying attention to your diet um meditation communication um, sleeping better, all these sorts of things. But, you know, again, really healing, meditation is a huge one. Uh, healing that brain to be able to, um, to gain that. And yeah, meditation is probably one of the key ones, actually, because that, that's, that's the opportunity to gain the interoception, right? To, to really, really be focusing on what's going on in your body at any one time. Yeah. Uh, and I know that sounds, that'll sound a little bit out there, you know, very fairy for certain individuals that are listening, but Unfortunately, that's um, that. There's some science that's that's uh, that's doing a good job of supporting that that um, that we need that now. Right, and you talked about the HPA axis earlier, mm-hmm. uh, like calming that nervous system through meditation. You're less likely to have the fight flight response, and you're able to, I think, just little things like recognizing pain in your body, thinking about like what's going on, like think about what's going on in my toes. How do my toes feel? How do my feet feel? How do my ankles feel? What do my knees feel like? And just sort of scanning like what, what it actually feels like. Cause we, I think I do. And I, I think a lot of my clients do 
turn off different receptors because for one, they don't want to hear it. They don't want to think that there's something going on with their knee that maybe they have some muscle imbalances or some weak parts that are contributing to that. But you have to really think about, hey, I got to take care of this thing and what's going on in different parts of it. Mm -hmm. Yep. I have been taking up a bunch of your time, but I love talking to you, Paula, and you are, I'm so thrilled that I know you and that you're publishing all kinds of papers to make athletes not only perform better, but to be healthier. Oh, thank you very much for your kind words as always, Stephanie. It's great speaking to you again, as always. And uh, I wish you and and your listeners uh, all the best with their health and, and fitness. And when Paul's book comes out, I'll send out a link and you guys can check it out. I'm sure your publisher would be happy for people to purchase it. Oh, absolutely.